G'day and welcome to Women's Baseball, The Inside Pitch. I am your host, Amy McCann, and joining me today is none other than Australian, Queensland and Lismore baseball legend, Karina Connors. After first picking up a t-ball bat in the 80s and then taking a softball, Karina has built one enviable resume which leaves her as the only far north coast baseballer to have been selected for the Australian women's team and the longest serving Queensland baseball team representative, male or female, at 17 years spent in the Maroon. But beneath the stats is a story of hard work, determination, heartbreak and joy. From three career threatening injuries to the birth of her daughter in the middle of her career, to a long awaited World Cup debut after she had officially retired. Now Karina is still involved in baseball and coaching, but more significantly, she's doing her part to rebuild a local community and a baseball family in her hometown of Lismore, which was recently devastated by the floods of February 22. There is a lot to take in in this episode. It was really emotional, but it was a real privilege to sit down with Karina, so I really hope you enjoy it as much as I do. Joining me today is Sexo. You're always going to be Sexo to me, but you are Karina Connors. Uh, Karina Connors, welcome to the show. Thank you. Thank you for having me. Where are you talking to us from today? Uh, Lismore, New South Wales. So um, I just live about 10 minutes outside of Lismore and uh, we just went through a one in 500 year flood event. So... It's uh, pretty surreal around here. We will get to that later, but my first question to you is, are you okay? How is your family? How are your friends? How's your house? So I'm pretty lucky. I actually live outside of town. So I'm up on a, um, a hill ridge, which is great. Um, all my family is okay. They live on the other hill ridge on the other side of town. Um, but yeah, um, friends have lost their homes. They had to be rescued. Um, but my immediate family is safe and well. So we're, we're the, one of the lucky ones. Yeah, you, you certainly are. I think anyone that's seen the, the footage and, and has heard what is going on up in the far north coast of New South Wales and, and Queensland as well, our hearts go out to you. And we'll, we'll talk to that uh, towards the end of the podcast. Um, obviously, you being a baseballer, that's obviously the main reason, but tying it into to, to what has obviously gone on with the floods and hopefully we can raise a little bit of an awareness of what's going on up there, not just around the baseball community, but the entire community. So talking about that, you are you are born and bred Lismorian. I'm not sure if that's the correct term, but um, yeah, in the late 80s, you, you found both the diamond sports and I understand you your brother followed you, your dad was an umpire and, and everyone plays two sports. Uh, tell me about country baseball, country softball and your, your beginnings. Um, so I started playing t-ball um, for Redbirds back in yeah, the late 80s. Um, I was lucky enough that my mum actually worked with um, a lady, Kayleen Shales, who was a very prominent softballer for New South Wales and had a very long history within the game as well. And they worked together. Um, Mum thought, oh, well, I'll go give softball a go. Um, she liked it. I was out there. I just started playing because, you know, you sort of follow your parents. And then that led, um, so the club that I played for, for baseball was East Redbirds. And then the softball club was Metropole Dodgers. So they had the same sponsor. So basically there was a group of us that played 
t-ball softball, played t-ball baseball, and we just moved through the two sports like that, um, which was fun. Like, not a lot of girls did it, mostly boys, but <laughs> I enjoyed it. So it was good. <laughs> it, it, um, you play out of the same venue. So basically you got to play all year round um, at the exact same fields. Now I did read, and you're lucky that I actually asked you to be on the show. No, I'm joking. I did read you say that softball was your first love for many years. Yes. Yeah, you made local rep teams through all your age groups and you got to the New South Wales under-16 team and you won the national championships um, in Brisbane in 2000. Yeah, look, I loved softball and I still do love softball and I'm still involved with softball here. Um, it's just that baseball, I guess, ended up offering me a few more opportunities um, to play at higher levels at earlier ages. So I... You know, I was still playing softball even when I was, you know, sort of starting to get into those elite baseball years as well. Um, and it's just, I, I think that there's just so much overlap between the two sports as well. A lot of people will probably disagree with that, but mm. I think you can be successful in both sports um, and you can still play really well. Um, and, and they're very similar, you know, there's not a lot of difference you still throw the ball, catch the ball, hit the ball. And you talk about the switch to baseball. With 2001, you made your nationals debut for Queensland at 16. So you're the baby on the team. I was. Probably one of the babies at the nationals. I, you, you pit me by one year. I, my first nationals was 2002. What do you remember from 2001? Tell me all about it because I wasn't there. <laughs> um, what do I remember? Okay, so I remember like before the nationals happened, um, I guess to fill everybody in, I live in regional New South Wales, but our our association was actually affiliated with Baseball Queensland at that point in time. So we're only about an hour and 10 minutes from the Queensland border. Um, whereas um, back in 2001, it was about a 10 or 11 hour car ride to Sydney. So hence why we were affiliated with Queensland. But um, they put like this call out and just sort of said, hey, we want to get a team together to play in these women's nationals at Easter in Sydney. And I was like, oh, okay, well, I'm not really doing anything else. Like softball was a, I just had the nationals the year before and then the next age group was under 19. So I was still probably a little bit too young for that age group. Um, so I just thought, okay, well, I'll go give this a go and see what this is like. And we were very, we were a lot of softballers together. We were probably pretty inexperienced. Um, but we had our first win um, at that tournament. We only won one game throughout the whole tournament, um, but it was a massive comeback. Like it was, the game should have been, you know, finished in five innings and it ended up at, you know, winning by one run in the bottom of the seventh. Um, so that was pretty, pretty wow. special to come back from that. But, you know... <clears throat> Um, we did a lot of weird, not weird, but crazy things at that Nationals. We used to dance a lot. So we were really, we were like a group of young players mostly. Um, some of them <laughs> were 19 then and now they've just had their 40th. So that's, you know, <laughs> puts it into perspective for us. In 2001, there was the first ever Australian women's team. They went away in July. So women's baseball was sort of really just starting getting its across the world not just Australia and um, 2002 came around our first national champs together on obviously I was on yes. Victorian Provincial as it was called back then and you're on Queensland we must have done pretty well because you and I both made the Australian squad out of that that national yeah we did didn't we 
And that was a huge year, 2002, for you because you're not only selected in your first Australian team, but you're also doing your final year of high school, HSC, and you're juggling a part-time job as well. Tell me about uh, when you got that call. We all got that call to say there's a World Series in, in uh, August. We want you there. Tell me about that phone call and, and the decision you had to make around that. So not only was I doing grade 12 at the time, but I was also working. So I had a part-time job that I was doing um, 25 hours a week at, as well as doing grade 12, as well as doing baseball, which was two hours drive away, uh, one way. So um, I was at work that afternoon and um, Chris Norrie had rung my parents, obviously on the home phone, because that's what you did back in <laughs> 2002. <laughs> exactly what happened to me. Yeah. And I, I, I remember like, they said, oh, you've got a phone call. And I was a checkout chick at Coles. That was my job. So um, I was like, phone call? Like, nobody calls me at work. <laughs> like, you know what? Everybody knows what time I finish at home. Like, you guys are just going to pick me up and we're all good sort of thing. And um, and I remember my mum said, oh, we've just had a call from Chris Norrie. And I was like, oh, yeah, okay. For those who don't know, Chris was also my state coach at that point in time as well. So he was the Queensland head coach. So, you know, they're sort of telling me that Chris is wrong. I'm like, eh, whatever, you know, not really realizing I guess what the next words out of their mouth was going to be um, and they said he wants to know if you want to go to America and I went for what <laughs> and they sort of said you know that an Australian team or squad have been picked um, and we're heading they're heading off in like you know so many weeks and he needs an answer tonight like and I'm like can I finish work first and they're like no and I said well I don't know, like, <laughs> how much is it going to cost? Like, you know, I didn't really have any idea as to if I could say yes. And, you know, obviously, you know, funding these sports um, fell onto the parents. Um, and, you know, I contributed as much as I could. And it wasn't sort of really, I guess, up to me at that point in time as to whether or not I go. It was whether or not my parents could afford for me to go. Um so they said, yes, we can afford it. And I was like, okay. Um, so we went. And um, yeah, it was, it was a great trip. So as you know. <laughs> that was my first overseas trip playing baseball. And we, we went to Tampa Bay um, for the 2002 Women's World Series. And I was, a, I don't know what you remember. But I just remember the heat. We stayed at the Hilton. We played on Tropicana Field, which is the home of the Tampa Bay Devil Rays. We played a game at 1am. It was like absolutely everything you could imagine just in this two-week trip. What was that? Like that was the moment I just went, yes, I just want to be around like the nationals and that. I just want to be around girls playing baseball. Sign me up. Yeah, it, um, it was definitely an experience. And I think at the time I didn't like, I was only 16. I'd, I'd done a few things in, in you know, softball at that point in time, but I didn't really understand the magnitude, I think, of what was happening at the time. It was really, um, like I look back now and, you know, they always say hindsight is a wonderful thing. And I think about what we actually did in that space of time, like within those first, you know, four years, five years, what we actually achieved and the people that were involved with the programs, like, it's just, it's mind blowing. Like you can't, 
there's no other way to describe it. Like I was this 16 year old kid who had to do their HSC exams early. Sorry, I was 17. Had to do their HSC, which is your, you know, your grade 12 trial exams early by myself so I could go on this trip because it was in September. And the HSC is done in um, November. So they give you a trial beforehand. But yeah, like going over there, I just, I remember, I remember the gold medal game and I remember, you know, pieces of games up until that. I remember coming out and I think we'd gone through five pitches already in that game. And then Chris is like, well, you know, I think we basically had lost the game. There was no way that we could, you know, do very well with it. So he's like, said to me, well, here's the ball, go get him, go have some fun, chew up some innings for us, do whatever you need to do. And I think we ended up coming back and winning that game by one run. And I remember like little things like that. I know that that was probably one of my best pitching outings ever. <laughs> um, so that was pretty special. And I remember the rain just, yeah, that game finishing, or I think we restarted at one o'clock or something. No, we restarted at 11. That's right, we finished at one. Um, and then we had to be back up the next day mm. and we had like the nine o'clock game. And it was like, oh dear, <laughs> I just, you know, I could not do that now. <laughs> no way. <laughs> so, and we had some, we had some people in our team that were, you know, of our vintage back then. Um, so, you know, it, it was special. You think about the team we had, because we won, we won gold. We, um, we won gold. We beat Japan, I think, 9-6 in the final. Played on Tropicana Field after a major league game. And I remember one of the, my biggest memories of that game was a triple, sorry, a, a outfield catch Chrissy Krepold laid out in right field and took it like one of the best catches I've ever seen. But you think about the people on that team, Simone Wern, Christina Krepold, Shay Lillywhite, Samantha Hamilton, like just crazy names in that first team. Sue and Fairhurst. Yeah, like. Yeah, she hit a double to the, um, to the warning track. Like it bounced on the warning track on a major league field. The Japanese didn't know where that ball went. Like, yeah, I think she hit the roof on a pop-up. Yeah, probably. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah. Yeah, it was amazing. Just amazing two weeks of just playing baseball. Um, later that year, there was a international teams came over to Australia and we played a tournament in Geelong. You were in the Australian team. I was in the Australian B yeah. team. Um, I remember you guys absolutely handed it to us in the game we played. That wasn't fun, but that's what, I guess what you're supposed to do. Um <laughs> You guys win gold. There's a 2003 World Series on the Gold Coast. You win silver. You're the junior sports person of the year. Like, this is so much stuff. Like, as you said before, like, for you as a teenager, you're 19. You've done three World Series, overseas trips. You just, yeah, like, the, the opportunities that baseball presented to you must have just been so amazing before you were in 20. It was. It was, you know, it. you can't really fathom what you actually did if that makes sense like to me it's just I just did it like it was okay well it, this is fun I like doing this I like being involved in this team environment I like having these opportunities to be able to go and do these sorts of things and you know and it, it wasn't cheap and it wasn't easy and to be honest we I'm gonna say personally I didn't really know how to play baseball back then I was very, very raw. <laughs> I, you know, I, I, 
you know, those opportunities to, um, you know, have that specialised baseball coaching was at times few and far between. Um, you know, mm. it, and every state was, I guess, going through different growth periods at different points in time. So, um, yep. yeah, I mean, don't get me wrong. There was definitely some great people around us. But as players, we hadn't been exposed to those um, higher level coaches um, until we sort of got there. And it was like, okay, well, great. I'm just going to absorb everything that these guys and girls can say and what they can teach me. And then I'm going to go away for the next six months because I'm not going to see them again for another six months or eight months or 12 months until the next nationals if there was no international tournament. So, yeah. So, I mean, yeah, I did a lot in those those early teenage or late teenage, early 20s. Um, but it was fun and I, you know, I wouldn't change it for anything. It's shaped me into the person that I am and, you know, that's part of my story and who I am. Yeah, it's, a, it's an amazing point you make around there was so much going on in those first few years from 2001 to 2004. There was, I think, four World Series, the World Cup in 2004. It only it was like four years and it just exploded. And you're a 16-year-old softballer. I'm a 22-year-old person that played baseball in high school. It's like we all just had to go, what? Hang on, I was just I was playing for fun and now I'm playing overseas for Australia. I had to... It was a really steep learning curve and I think we were really blessed to have so many good people involved from whether it was Grant Weir, Chris Norrie um, and then people like John Gaynor and all that just yeah we just had to lap it all up um, but we talk about you in 2004 and talk about everything you've done you're 19 you've already carved out this career and then you were told you had to have sh surgery you've done your shoulder and you're actually told that either you're never going to play again or you're never going to throw again um, what what happened? And tell me about the choice when you were told you were going to have to have surgery. So Baseball Queensland put on a um, exhibition game at uh, the home of the Brisbane Bandits, now Holloway Field. So we played this game there and I was pitching and it was, you know, like a Queensland inter-squad game. And all of a sudden I threw this ball and it went halfway up the back net from the mound. And I was like... Ah, okay, that's interesting. So through the next pitch and it bounced before the plate. And my coach is looking at me and I'm looking at him and, and I didn't know what was sort of happening. I had no pain either, um, which was unusual. And so he pulled me off and he sort of said, you know, like, what's going on? I said, I don't know, like, I just, like, it feels fine, but... I don't know what's happening. Um, so I tried throwing again the next day and it's still, I had no control. I didn't know, you know, it just felt really loose. So I went to the doctor here. Um, I knew, I think by that stage, I'd seen the physio and I knew that there was something quite wrong when the physio suggests that I need to go and see a specialist orthopedic surgeon. So being in, you know, regional New South Wales, you have the choice either go to Sydney or go to Brisbane. So I went to the local orthopaedic surgeon here and just said to him, look, you're not touching me. I just need a referral. Um, and I'd already researched the surgeon that I would like to see. Um, so I went to see him, um, got my referral. He said, okay, yep, you are dislocating every time you throw the ball. So your shoulder is actually popping out of the socket. Wow. Um, I 
cried <laughs> a lot and said, what do we need oh. to do? And he said, well, you uh, need to have surgery. And I said, okay, for, you know, what's the rehab like? What, you know, can we do sort of thing? I just signed a um, college scholarship to go play softball in America um, at a little place called wow. Lakeland College. It's a NJCAA Div 2 school. Um, but I had a full scholarship to that school, so I decided that that would be a good idea. And then obviously I've blown my shoulder out. So we do the surgery because he sort of says, you know, it's you know 12 weeks in a sling. Um, it's 12 months max for recovery. And I sort of said, okay, well, that's fine because even though I was heading, this was the December of um, 2003, so I wasn't heading to college until the you know, August of 2004. Um, and you obviously have four ball before the season starts um, in the early 2005. So I made the decision to go ahead with the surgery. I spoke to my coach in the States. He said, that's fine. Um, you know, you'll be three months, your, your shoulders should be fine by the time you start um, in the January. I said, okay, that's cool. So I had the surgery. I go to my 12-week post-op appointment with the surgeon and he runs a bunch of tests and he says, okay, we've made a mistake. I said, excuse me? Um, he said, not only were you dislocating it out the front, you were also dislocating it out the back every time you threw. So we've only tightened up the front and we haven't tightened up the back. And by the way, um, they had done a bunch of testing as well. And he had basically come to the conclusion that I was hypermobile. So I had extreme flexibility in, in a lot of my joints in my body. So that, you know, led to where we sort of sat at this point in time. Um, so before the surgery, he had said that, you know, I doubt you will play again. He said, it's very unlikely. And I said, well, I don't believe you. Um, I was a bit pig-headed and you know, <laughs> I don't like when people say that I can't do something. So I generally just go and do it. Um, so they were the best that they were hoping for after the original surgery was that I could put the clothes on the line. So that was going to be the test, was whether or not I could lift my shoulder um, enough to be able to put clothes on a clothesline. So... Um, when he said wow. that I needed a second surgery, so he um, after the first surgery at the 12-week mark, he said, all right, we want to go and we want to do the second surgery. Um, and then we want to do your left shoulder as well. And I said, no, 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 um, no we don't need to do this. Um, I, I just felt that he had a chance to go in there um, and it didn't work out. And now... I just didn't want to spend the next, you know, 12 months rehabbing two shoulders um, and the same shoulder again. And I know that the more surgeries that you have, the less movement and the less um, chance of being successful that they, there is. So I was well aware of that. Um, so I, I decided that, you know, I would do whatever I could to try and come back. Um, did I think I was ever going to play for Australia again? Oh, God, I wanted to, but I didn't know if I could do it. Um, 
So I took off to the mm. States um, and played four ball over there. Um, but my shoulder just really had it, it. It just wasn't getting to where it needed to be. Um, I couldn't have played a college season, so um, I decided to redshirt and come home. So um, I wow. had that experience. Really enjoyed it. You know, went to classes, did all that sort of stuff. Um, really enjoyed. You know. I don't know if I enjoyed it, but it was snowing. So that was kind of cool because it doesn't snow here. Um, <laughs> but yeah, and, and just to sort of, you know, have that taste of what college was like and um, experience it, it is something that is mm. very unique um, and really, really cool to do. So yeah, so that was that was my, my shoulder injury. So yeah. So I missed 2004 Nationals. I didn't play that one. You obviously spent a lot of time on your shoulders because you've come back to Nationals and in 2007 you topped the Queensland batting. You're back on the hill throwing. You've got a two-and-a-half two ERA. Um, that's pretty impressive. Um, but one of – it's like you're, you're – you can't seem to take a trick. Like you're, I remember you on the field and you were just, you were quick and you'd be hitting the triples. You're on the mound. You're great in the outfield. And I think you maybe spent some time at shortstop too. There was, seems like there was nothing that you couldn't do, but it was always going to be, I think it was always going to be your body um, that sort of defined how far you went in your career. And, and I, I actually remember nationals in Perth in 2007. I just remember, I think Victoria must've been watching the New South Wales Queensland game. And we all just remember I think we arrived and you were lying on the side and then you, I think you got taken off by a stretcher and it was like, we're like, what is going on? And you couldn't move. What? And that was your back. What happened then? You only, what, in 20, 2007, you were what, 20, early 20s too? Yeah, I was only early 20s. Um, so I'm a left-handed hitter and I was hitting against, um, I can't remember the picture from New South Wales, but I... Uh, she went with us to the World Series in 2002. So it was one of the New South Wales pitchers. It was either, is it Kelly or Megan? They were the two girls that came away with us. Kelly yeah. Gunn or Megan Vidler? Yeah, so it was either one of those were pitching. I can't remember who. Um, and look, fastball got away from her um, and I turned and I turned too far, to be fair. Um, and I copped a ball right in my back and it pinched my sciatic nerve. So I went to the ground. Um, I couldn't feel my leg um, on the right side and I had to... <laughs> that stupid rule is you have to touch first base before they can bring a runner in. So <laughs> the coaches picked me up um and walked me to first base and I touched first base and then they laid me off to the side while we waited for the ambulance to come um so the ambulance came they obviously a back injury put me in a full brace um so that I couldn't move very well or anywhere really and we went to hospital um we had all the scans um you know, there was obviously inflammation in that, you know, lower pelvis um, area. It was a pretty cool bruise eventually came out. Um, and I just had to spend time on the sideline just, you know, 
watching and not not walking like I couldn't I could hardly walk um, I spent the next day at the motel I couldn't even get out of the motel to go to the field to watch um, I made it there on the second day walking very very gingerly um, I ended up having like three physio and two Cairo appointments in that 48 hour period after it happened um, and it ended up releasing wow. um, so I ended up playing I ended up finishing the tournament so that was um, that was pretty cool yeah <laughs> it um, but yeah it definitely put me put me out it hurt <laughs> a lot so yeah well if it was Kelly Gunn um, Kelly Gunn hit me once I mean and Kelly Gunn was one of the best pitches in that era and she yeah. god she threw the ball not just fast but she threw it hard and that's how yeah, that's she's why she, like a heavy fast she won ball. nationals for new south wales yeah. yes and yeah i got hit once at the nationals in my arm and i still it still hurts i'm not gonna lie and i'm look i'm a wuss in the batter's box everyone knows that but um was there a point was there a point where you kind of went oh my god like what am i doing like what did you did you think like i've got injuries i'm just i've had enough like what kept you playing Looking back, I don't know <laughs> what kept me playing. I think it was just the fact that it was, it was just so much fun. Like you go away for 10 days with a group of girls and you got to play baseball. Like, you know, I just loved playing and I still, you know, I jumped into our development team training the other night and they needed an extra player. So I, you know, suited up in joggers and shorts and, and I had fun and it, and that's, I think what it was. It, it, you know, it, it keeps you young, it keeps, you know, it is fun and that's what it's meant to be. And if it wasn't fun, you wouldn't do it. So um, I think that's really what kept me going was, you know, I'd been told that I should never play again because of my shoulder and I just, I'm pig-headed, I'm stubborn. I don't, you know, like I said, I don't like anybody saying things like that. So I, um, yeah, and, and then you just got to play with all your friends and, you know, like... Emery you know, McLaughlin ended up being my housemate. Like we lived together. We went to Japan together. We, you know, and and they do. They become more than just friends or more than just teammates. People that you spend, you know, ten days in twelve months um, living with. But you know, you you got to think about all the training sessions that you go to, all the gym sessions that you put in, all of those things. Um, and you're a group of you know eighteen to twenty people who are striving for the same goal. So that's really what mm. I guess what kept me going was was that so yeah yep. yeah and you talk about going overseas in 2009 with um Anne-Marie McLaughlin to Miyazaki Junior College I had the privilege of living and playing baseball in Japan and it was amazing um but in 2011 you get a it's not an injury this time but you you are pregnant with your first child, which is uh, amazing. And, and you you played nationals, your tenth nationals, ten weeks pregnant. Correct. Talk me through playing a national championships pregnant. We we, we saw Katie Gaynor uh, did it a few years early. Um, yeah, take me through that. She was a little bit further ahead along than me, so <laughs> um, nobody knew that I was pregnant. 
except for Emery Adams. I thought that I should probably tell Granny Annie what was going on. Um, Great. Anne Marie so, Adams is the uh, was the EO of the Queensland team and the Australian correct. team, five time World yes. Cup EO. Anne Marie Adams, yep. one of the the best you'll ever meet. Shout out, yep, <laughs> amazing. Um, and and again, she's more like family as well. Um, so I sort of said to her, "Look, you know, I'm pregnant," and she was like, "Oh my god!" So <laughs> I'm pretty sure she told the coaches, but that's okay. They you know sort of needed to know. Um, but yeah, I, nothing really, I was just really tired, I guess. Um, morning sickness sort of, you know, um, really played havoc. I um, had one of those moments where I brought up my breakfast out at left field um, in Canberra over the fence. Um, and yeah, just um, we had, so I'm hoping was year, I, I'm hoping I wasn't in that outfield when you, no, I did it over the fence. Like, it was out of play, out of play. So, but, yeah. Okay. <laughs> it, um, <laughs> we were, remember we were all staying in the same, like, motel that year in Canberra? Yes. Yeah, yeah so we, we were. all yes, had different right. wings of the motel near the, near the ballpark there. And, um, like, dead tired. Like, I could just get through the game. It was just, you know, like, morning sickness hits different women at different rates and different periods of time. So um, I was just tired all the time. And people from other teams decided that they would play knock and run. So uh, I was a pregnant woman, very emotional, very tired. People were knocking on my door. <laughs> And I just screaming down the hallway, like, go away, pick on somebody else. I think that was the last Nationals they actually put us in the same place. Yeah. <laughs> and there was a good reason because it was it was like eight teams of 20 girls in the one motel, hotel, motel. Chaos. Absolute yeah. hectic. It was yeah. great fun. <laughs> the good thing was I got to see my cousin. Not for you. Well, third cousin. So, Laura. Sexy. Oh, yes, that's right. Yeah, yes. we found each other at a Nationals, at that Perth Nationals. Yeah. Yeah, Yeah, that's amazing. So, um, yeah. yeah, and so you play the National Championships 12, yep. 10 weeks pregnant and then next minute, well, 12 months later, you're back at Nationals again and you're breastfeeding your 16-week-old daughter at a Nationals. Like, you can't. They're two yeah. of the most amazing stories. Well, so you go from having morning sickness at one nationals to breastfeeding. What was that one like? Um, that was really tough. So um, I had a few complications throughout my pregnancy as well um, and, you know, really struggled to be able to stay fit during that period as well. And then um, I had my daughter via, via cesarean. So it is obviously a longer recovery period after um, before you can really, you know, come back to sport and playing and, and all those sorts of things. So the state squad had already been announced before I got cleared to play. Um, and it was great because they allowed me to still be in the state squad. Um, obviously, I had to prove my fitness before we could go. Um, but I did that and I took off down there with um, my husband, or now husband, um, and my mother as the uh, babysitter. But um, it was 
I was the first one from Queensland to, I guess, have a baby that young um, that wanted to still play and I was breastfeeding and so therefore she needed to stay with the team. So my I managed to have two really cool roommates who were just completely understanding and, you know, allowed um, for her to, to room with us. So she's already roomed at a nationals and uh, 16 weeks. So, but yeah, I mean, look, you, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I had to be careful with the roommate. Was she, hang on, was she, she was technically, yeah, she was technically a rookie though. Did she get rookie duty? Did she have to carry the balls or did she have to clean the washing? No, none of those things. <laughs> so no, it was, yeah. And you know, yeah. You know, when you're breastfeeding, obviously you're on the child's schedule more so than your schedule. So um, there were times where, you know, I had to, you know, change my warm-up routine. I couldn't warm up necessarily with the team because I needed to go and express um, or feed her. So, um, yeah, I was just really lucky that, you know, Facebook offered me the opportunity to, to be able to do that and the people that were involved in that period of time were, um, you know, really supportive of wanting to, you know, allow me to be the best that I could and, and give it a go. And, it, yeah, I did. It was great. I had fun. <laughs> Can I ask you what the – we obviously know you, your baseball ability after. What's the bef- – sorry, before you, you had your daughter, what's the before versus after change – for an athlete, what like challenges? What do you lose? What do you gain? What 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 did you find through your experience? Um, I definitely got slower. <laughs> so, like I said, you know, I had a few complications, um, and that resulted obviously in um, weight gain as well. I mean, every woman gains weight when they're pregnant, but um, it was really difficult for me to be able to keep fit during that period of time. So, you know, as soon as I'm going to say as soon as she was born, um, I started walking with her. But afterwards, I had to be smarter. Like, I didn't have the speed anymore um, that I had before her, but I ended up gaining more power. I think I realised how deep I could actually go and how far I could actually push myself, um, and that resulted in me being able to become a lot stronger, physically stronger. Um, than what I was before so it it yeah you know you had uh, I just had to become I think a better student of the game I had to you know have a lot more forethought about what, what was happening in certain instances whereas previously I could sort of react to what was happening um, but now I didn't have that opportunity so um, I, I just needed mm. to do to do that so yeah it, it is it is different um, for me anyway, and I think every woman that, you know, has a child and, and plays an elite sport or plays a sport elitely, um, has those challenges and they all react in different ways. And that's, I think, the beauty of, of women playing sport. So do you find out what you're made of? And motherhood obviously suited you because in 2013, Ballarat Nationals, actually my last Nationals, um, you were named in the all-star team and, um, I think we're all thinking, here she is, Sexo's back, sorry, Karina Connors <laughs> is back, here she is, she's hitting form, she's got mother strength, 
seriously watch out. And then 2014 Nationals, yeah. it's like the injury Day strikes started. again. It's like you can't take a trick. So Bronnie Joel hits a screamer down first baseline. So I had moved around positions by this stage. So after I had my daughter, um, I really took on a bit more of a role at first base. It, you know, I didn't need to be as athletic. Um, and we had some really good players coming through who had a lot of speed. Um, and, I, you know, that was the best position for me as a player, but also for the team that I moved to that. So playing first base, Bronny just screams this ball down the first baseline. And I am like, like that year, um, it was the Sydney Nationals and Queensland ended up placing, um, we got the bronze medal for that Nationals. Um which we lost on a protest, but we'll get to that. Um, Bronnie screams this ball down and it's, you know, it's a close game with Victoria and I decide that, okay, well, I'm going to lay out for this because I think that I can get it. And I cleat myself um, in the knee and I end up having three um, full, full thickness tears in the articulate cartilage of the head of my femur. So we're back to surgery. Um, I have surgery eight days after nationals. Um, again, I had a really good, you know, medical team um, that I'd established in Brisbane because as we could see, I was injury prone. Um, so I went to them the day after we got back. I had my scans within four days and I was being operated on within eight days of returning. Um, so we did that and they said, yep. I said, oh, well, we've got, you know, a strain squad in uh, 10 weeks. Can I make it? And they said, yep, go for it. So I did. And I hadn't slid by the time we got to Aussie camp. Um, that was the one at Palmetto's. Um, but mm. that was the one where we made the human pyramids. Remember that one? Or had you you had you I retired? Do, yes. Yes. No, you'd gone. No, there. that was my last. Yeah. 2014 was my last World Cup, um, and yep. that was my last selection camp on the Gold Coast. Yeah, I do yeah. remember that. So, um, yeah. So I made it to there, and I, um, yeah, played. I think I did, you know, as well as could be expected, um, and and I was proud of myself for you know, making sure that I was doing my rehab every single day um, and making sure that, you know, I could I could get back there. And I don't think I – I didn't disgrace myself by attending, um, so that's that's a plus. Um, most people didn't know that I'd had surgery 10 weeks before. Um, so, yeah, just got in and got it done. So Yeah, but. it's an amazing <laughs> effort. As you said, 10 weeks, you turn – yeah, you turn up, you put – you put the, put all the work in, and sadly, you didn't. You weren't selected on that World Cup. Um, it's like we we were never destined to play a World Cup together. Like I know. we played that, we played that two thousand and two World Series together, and then yeah. we just never we never played another team together. We played that one team together. I know. I, I mean, know. it was a great one to play, but you unfortunately, yeah, you you miss just miss selection, which is a huge effort to get there, and. You make a decision after that World Cup. Oh, sorry, after that, that, what was that decision? 
I did. I I decided that um, that was going to be my last attempt at trying to make an Australian team again. Um, I felt that, you know, it had been nine years, I think, since my surgery. Um, and I'd, I'd only missed one Australian squad, um, which was the year of the surgery, since that whole time. So it was like every year, yep, you're in the squad, you know, oh, yeah, you know, top 25. It's like, can't I be top 20? Like just or top 18, however many, you know, the, the roster allows for. But, you know, having said that, though, like the players that were in front of me, were you know world all stars um and just great people you know like like i said i after i had charlotte I, i'd gone to first base and and i'm up against katie Gaynor. like i wouldn't have picked me either <laughs> hello <laughs> so yeah like you know world all-star first baseman <laughs> so yeah, it, you know you you get yeah it, it and it's it's that realisation, I think, you know, that, you know, if Katie wasn't playing for Australia, would I have been good enough to play at that level? Yeah, I, I probably would have been. But she was playing for Australia. And and not just her. There was obviously others as well, you know, even before I had my daughter and I was still playing, you know, outfield and, and so forth. And you, AMAC, like, you know, it's... Sorry, sorry. It's okay. <laughs> you know, that's okay. <laughs> no, I know, it's okay. So... It, it is it is what it is and you know and and hats off to them because you know they did Australia really proud and you know it just goes to show that the depth that we do have here in Australia in women's baseball and that's something to be proud of as well so yeah but couldn't get through so retired I was done <laughs> yeah well, and I know so. and it's like it's like it's funny. I retired that same year, and I'm like, oh, okay. And then you're we all disappear off. It's what happens. We all retire and we all disappear off into our states, and we don't have that traditional Easter catch up at um, at nationals. And you go even north. You go to Cairns, which is absolute as far away as possible. Um, so you but you retire. You're living in Cairns. It's 2015, and you take a phone call from a friend in Cairns. That quite possibly is like. The most important phone, not that phone call that they called. They called you on a landline in 2002 when we both went to that World Cup World Series. You took a phone call in 2015. That probably, I reckon, was the most important phone call of your career. Yeah. So um, I was still playing nationals um, in 2015 as well. Um, I hadn't decided to give that away yet, um, but I took a phone call from Linda Goff. Um, Linda obviously lives in Cairns, um, and she was a teammate from the Queensland team. And when we moved up there, um, my husband's mother had passed away um, and we were sort of escaping Brisbane um, at that point in time. And she she rang and she said, look, um, I want to make the Australian team. And I went, oh, okay, all right. Like, that's not an easy gig. <laughs> Um, definitely talented. She's, you know, very fit individual, um, very athletic. Um, and she sort of said, you know, what do I need to do? And I said, okay, well, we've got to start training. So she had a daughter. Um, she'd just given birth less than a year before that as well, by the way. Um, and wow. so she had two children under four. Um, and... 
I said, okay. So I said, I'll train with you because you're going to need somebody to train with. Um, and my husband, Alan, or Al, as everybody knows him by, um, he coached us. So I, 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 you know, rustled up a few other girls to come because we were doing like, um, pilot testing in all the locations. So we were just running all of the tests and then all of that information was then being sent to Baseball Australia. Um, and then they were obviously tracking our development through that as well. So I rustled up like, there was about five of us all together, I think. And, you know, I'm like, you're coming down, you know, you never know. You just, you might end up, you know, in the Queensland team or in the Australian squad, like who, who knows? Um, and one of the girls did end up in the Australian squad at that point in time too. Um, she later played a nationals with us, um, Moi Kurahara, but yeah, Linda and I just started training together and, you know, I, I wasn't really invested in the actual training side. I think I was more trying on the coaching side of it as well mm. with her, but, you know, still obviously working out to, and, you know, to play at nationals and obviously be successful for our team, um, as well and that ended up in a little great little story that happened then so yeah are you gonna are you gonna keep us hanging or are you gonna tell us the story so here you are training Linda <laughs> Goff to get you're helping Linda get in the Australian team but little did you know yeah Linda was helping you get in the Australian team at the same time yep. and you end up at the national camp here you are Correct. 12 you've retired you're going up there to help someone out mm-hmm. and you're in the Australian squad when you've hung your cleats up, you're green and gold, you've, you've given <laughs> up all hope. I had I had given up all hope. So took off to nationals, that was all good, made the Australian squad. I thought that I'd publicly retired, you know, two years earlier, so I was a bit shocked, I think, to make the squad. And I spoke about, about it to my husband and I sort of said, you know, like, I think the cost of the camp was $400 because it was pretty subsidised. And he said, um, I said, look, I said, he goes, are you going to go? And I said, I'm actually thinking about it. And he's like, ah, oh, okay. You know, because I had been so confident in my retirement that I was like, he was a bit shocked that I would sort of say that. And I said, well, I said, here's my theory. I said, I get to go down there for three days and I get to play baseball with girls who – I like playing with, I love playing against. And I just get to go and have fun. I said, you know, like, and if I don't make the team, like, I don't care. It's just, I get to go and experience that one last time. And, you know, and he's like, okay, then, you know, that's fine. And so off I go. And and it was great. I think that's the, that's what I needed. I think I needed somewhere where I didn't put the pressure on myself yeah. as well. Yeah. And I just got to go out there and just have fun. And I remember... You know, we're playing a game and and some I'm sitting on the bench and Simone goes, put a helmet on, you're batting next. It was like one ball I got to uh, in the warm-up on the on-deck circle. And so I jump in and I have an at-bat. And then she goes, go to the bullpen. So I'm like racing over to the bullpen. And it's like, okay then. And then she's like, you're going in. And I was like, all right. And then she's like, okay, well, you're DHing again. like. And it was just this, there was this game where I just felt like, um, she was, 
Like I look back now and I'm pretty sure she was testing me just to see how I would handle all of this change that was going on. Yeah, but I really just didn't care because it was just <laughs> fun. Um, yeah. So get home, you know, like Linda's, Linda had made the squad as well. So we had both gone to this camp together. Um, and we, I don't, I don't know if we got a phone call. I think we did. But I remember I was at work um, and the the company that I was working for, um, the owners were obviously baseball people. That's how we ended up in Cairns. Um, And really good friends um, of Linda's as well. So we, I come downstairs and she's there and I'm like, what are you doing here? And for those of you who don't know, we used to work, um, where I used to work, one of the guys that worked with us um, was Brett Runnenberg. So he's a silver medalist, uh, silver silver Olympic medalist from um, Atlanta. Um, professional Major League. I'm pretty sure he's ended up in Athens. That's it. Sorry. Yes. Yep. Um, signed professional contracts, played in the United States. like, And um, so, you know, and he's down there and Linda's like, we made it. And I was like, what what do you mean we <laughs> like she goes we made it and I was like you made it that's great like I was so excited for her and she's like you're coming with me I was like how <laughs> so yeah and we cried and we hugged and we screamed and I think half of Cairns heard how excited <laughs> we were um and I just remember like I was shaking I just I couldn't actually believe it like here I was, it was like four weeks before we went as well because um, it was well, it was my first experience of having our trip um, paid for. Mm. So we spent three weeks in South Korea um, and just had the most amazing time ever. Like hearing, you know, we actually had to practice this because you know, I didn't want to make a fool of myself. The Like, you know, motherhood makes you a bit emotional. Well, it's made me a bit emotional. So <laughs> I didn't want to make a fool of myself. And um, I knew that listening, like standing there for the national anthem for the first time, I was going to lose it. So we practiced it at training. <laughs> so that by the time I got to the World Cup, I didn't cry <laughs> on the field and then have to go and play or, you know, do whatever needed to be done for the team. So that's amazing. Yeah, that's what we did. <laughs> so it's those little things like, you know, I think you've got to understand where your weaknesses are as well. And that was going to be, that was going to be mine was the moment of, yeah. I mean, when I got my cap um, mm. in the hotel the night before, um, I had, so from the tw- 2002 World Series that we played together, my roommates were Shay Lily White and Simone Wern. Yes, that's right. Okay, yeah. so there, yeah. Then we moved to the 2016 World Cup and Simone Wern is the manager for the Australian Emeralds and Shay Lily White is still, you know, a most capped Australian player and just an absolute legend. Um, and Shay presents me with my cap. And yes, I cried during that because that was not something that I thought was 
going to happen. So I didn't realize that we were going to do a hat presentation. Otherwise, I probably would have prepped for that too. But yeah, it was it was amazing. So, wow. And my husband got to come and watch. And uh, they put it on ESPN. We were on ESPN. It was so cool. So yeah. Yeah, and, and, that, and that was got to watch me play as well. So that's one of the greatest things I think. Um, obviously, retiring in the two thousand after the two thousand and fourteen, I've kind of been blessed. I get to sit at home in the twenty sixteen World Cup and the twenty eighteen World Cup. I get to sit at home at I don't know what hour, getting up, watching it on YouTube. Um, I watched all of your obviously your games in in twenty sixteen. So if you haven't watched any of the Women's World Cup, get onto YouTube, search WBSC Women's World Cup career in 2016 and, and USA in 2018. But <laughs> yeah, and so you go away, second oldest in the team. I think Linda was the, the oldest, both mums. And you walk away with yeah. a 309 batting average, your third best in putouts on the team behind a catcher and um, in Tani and Kim McMillan. Um, and you're playing a mix of... Mm. of DH and first base, as you said, you started out as an outfielder pitcher and you, you moved across to the to the to the corner late in your career. What do you remember from that World Cup? What was your big takeaway um, apart from all the emotion? Um, there's a few plays that I remember that just were amazing. I think there's a play. Um, I think we were playing Chinese Taipei and Bronwyn Gel like dives for this ball away from her through the gap between shortstop and third base, ends up on her knees, jumps up, throws the ball over, it's offline, I grab the ball and I just put the hardest tag that I could possibly put onto this base runner and she <laughs> takes a bit of a sideways step before she hits the base. But um, there's that play and then there was obviously the Morgan Doty catch in the outfield um and that the abby kelly pitching outing yep just you know and there's lots more like there's lots and lots more and it really lit a fire in me like i i just wanted to go back there again Mm. i just wanted to um so i yeah i tried but um you know again um unsuccessful so for 2018 but you you got that that year but you you got it yeah you got you got the world i got the moment i did i got the moment you got your moment and you price cap (laughs) yeah and look that's the thing like anyone that's played at a world cup and the the names that we've played with and against at nationals but then you get to play with those players at a world cup and as you said earlier it's it, do, it doesn't make any sense how, how we have had such an amazing group of women's baseballers when you consider we're just Australia and it's baseball and it's like, how have we produced? And it's, I think it's that generation that yeah. Shays and Simones and Sams and all uh, Katie's at the start breed a new generation and, and not just breed new young players. Obviously, you, people like yourself are continuing through. Um, through and, and we talk about you finally get that cap for the Australian team, but you... You retire a couple of years later as the most capped male or female Queenslander. So 17 Queensland state teams. Um, just uh, just amazing. Yeah. So congratulations on that. And you 
you, you talked earlier about how you sort of started to get into that coaching ranks and we see you started the Cairns Angels, a female team within the men's competition. You're assistant coach of the North Queensland Academy, the first female head coach in under-18 sta- under state titles in Queensland, the first female to coach an under-18 national championships for Queensland. Yeah, what do you like about the coaching? What's what's hard at playing or coaching? Oh, um, probably coaching. It, I... Um, I found it really difficult to start off with moving into coaching because I had been the type of player that could influence how the game was being played and and the outs that were being made and you know like if I wasn't able to actually you know be involved in the play I could at least be talking and communicating and and Mm. helping in that way but um, as a coach I had to learn to just sit and watch um, especially during a game um, and that was probably one of the biggest challenges for me was to not start yelling out like <laughs> as plays needed to happen or changes or, you know, <laughs> things like that. So that was really, really difficult. Um, but I'm really glad, like I got to make a lot of, I got a lot of opportunities in Cairns, um, to do a lot of things up there. There's a great baseball community up there with some of the best people, um, that you'll ever meet. And, and they love their baseball. And it, you know, after the A grade, like, you, you know, I ended up coaching A grade up there. Um, and after the game, you know, it doesn't matter if you just, you know, flog the other team or they flogged you or whatever. Just everybody just hangs around and has dinner and has a chat and, and all that sort of stuff. So um, I, I really got the opportunity to, to, you know, make a lot of errors up there. Um, and I wasn't judged for it. And it really gave me the opportunity to learn and then obviously you know coming back down um you know I say coming back down but coming down to state titles and um being you know having I think we had three um under 16 and under 18 players from Cairns who were involved in that Queensland program um when we went to the under 18 nationals um so yeah, that was that was really fun because under 18s is just it's you know it's so different to um, to women's baseball. You know, it's a lot quicker. It's a you know hmm. those guys are potentially getting signed yep. and going to college or you know signing professional um, contracts. So it's a different ball game, um, and I challenged myself, and I um, was really lucky to have. Um, you know, Gareth Jones and Ken McDonald there um, during that process. And they, you know, I learned a lot um, from those two guys during that and um, and the players as well, you know, um, just absolutely fantastic experience to be involved in that under-18 team. I mean, we didn't get the result that we wanted, but boy, did we learn a lot. I learned a lot. Um, so, yeah, so... Moved into coaching, definitely think it's harder than playing. Yeah, I, I agree. It's it's reward it's rewarding, um, in a different way. And it's yeah, I love. Co- I mean, we all wish we could stay young and play as well as we did back in our younger days. But yeah, coaching is it's it's important for us, obviously, for people yeah. like us to give it back, um, give back to the sport. But yeah, we we you, you've moved back yeah. to Lismore. You've been been there, and um, as we touched on in the start of the the podcast late February, early March, the whole of the, I guess, Brisbane um, was hit by the floods and then it moved down 
Uh, and Lismore's about 100k from the New South Wales-Queensland border. And I've got a lot of family up there in, in northern New South Wales. And it's just it's absolutely heartbreaking to see thousands of uninhabitable homes now, the clean-up. Unfortunately, we saw four people pass away. And it's, it's just... Um, it's just absolutely heartbreaking, and I guess how is everyone coping from a, from from not from a baseball perspective, just in a general perspective? How is how is the the community bonding together, and what have you sort of seen and done in that area? Um, so I think the initial um, I'm going to say the Sunday Monday it was like the 27th, 28th of February. We we knew it was going to flood, right? Um, we're used to flooding here in Lismore. It is, uh, for those of you who don't know, Lismore is in a valley. Um, and there's, um, I'm going to say, two main water systems that meet literally at one of the corners of the CBD um, in town. So we have a levee um, that protects the one side of town. Um, on the other side of town... You've got North and South Lismore, which um, are, they're flood prone areas. There's no levee on that side of the river. Um, so the water's just sort of let run. Um, there's a lot of houses over there and there's a lot of um, businesses over there as well. Um, the very large industrial area, um, a lot of you know transport, vehicles, um, car sale yards, that sort of stuff. Um, and you know, and, and homes, obviously, for people that live in those particular areas. Um, the town is at, in the first few days, it was very much um, flight response from everybody. So people were being rescued in kayaks. We have a bridge that um, was the bridge that most people have probably seen on the news. That is one of the highest points in our CBD and that was completely underwater as well. So when I say completely, it, um, I think at the peak, it was around about waist high on that bridge. So that means that there was 14 metres of water below it. Um, and our baseball fields were under at least, I want to say about 10 to 12 metres of water. So our main field was was completely, well, all of our fields were completely underwater. So the river backs onto our complex here um, and the people here, yeah, were just in disbelief to start off with. Um, that's sort of turned into a bit of anger now um, that, you know, I guess nobody really knew how high it was going to go. Um, everybody anticipated the height of 2017, which the town had only just rebuilt from recently. Um, so 2017, we had a flood that went through the CBD. It broke the levee. Um, then in 2019, we had the bushfires come through the region 2020 and 2021 we've had COVID and now 2022 we've had a one in 500 year flood event so there's a lot of there's a lot of people hurting here at the moment um it's it's really emotional um even if you 
weren't, you know, even if you haven't lost your home or lost your business, um, everybody's just reeling from it. Um, and it's, you know, you drive through town and, and it literally looks like, like you see Ukraine and what the devastation from the bombings and so forth have done over there and the fighting. And it's just like that, except for we just don't have the bombs. That's all. Um, so you, you drive through and people's entire lives are on the footpath outside of their house and it's just covered in mud. Um, we've had a lot of help from people and businesses coming from other areas to help. Um, I guess during the rescue phase, it was really difficult. People just, if you're on one side of the river, they would, you know, ferry you to a high point on that side, um, you know, cutting people out of houses. Um, people were hanging on to um, um, power lines because they'd been tipped out of their boat um, while they were rescuing other people. So it was, and the river was rushing. Like it was, if you hear the videos, mm. it was hammering. Um, and, you know, and we have, we have this, we have the river, but then we also have the basin. That's what they call it. It's like a low lying area um, on the other side of the CBD. And so what happens is, um, the water, if it comes down really fast, it then backs up there because if the river is up as well, even though it hasn't broken the levee, it can't get out the stormwater drain and drain into the to the river because it's being pushed back from the, the river. So we get two types of flooding. So you get like the stormwater drain flooding and then you get when the river breaks its banks and the levee, you get it over the top of that. So there's over 2,000 houses um here or 2,000 buildings something about half of those are houses that have been deemed inhabitable at present um, Lismore has around about 27,000 people that live within Lismore that doesn't include our regional community so um, you know you've got places that are low-lying um, Jigai, Eltham, Gulmangar um, all of those other places along the river as well and then if you go up into the hinterland, I'm going to call it a hinterland, towards Nimbin, um, Rock Valley, Bentley, there's a lot of landslides happening up there. So while they didn't flood, they were severely impacted um, by landslides. And all the way through, like up into the upper arm, upper main arm area, um, Mullumbimby, Mawulumba, the backs of those places as well. So it's, it's you know, national park area um a lot of forestry areas up there as well um but yeah definitely very very you know we're three weeks three weeks two days post the flood as we call it um and you know you still drive through town and whole sections of the community don't have power um they have had to rip all of their internal walls out and put them on the sidewalk um so what happens with the flood is obviously you know your waste um you get wastewater into the flood water as well and you get the sludge and everything else and you have to you have to try and get it fast enough that you can like hose it out um so you you basically rip all of your 
belongings out of your house um, and put them on the sidewalk. Then you and that can take days. That's that's not just like that's not just an easy task because you know you you might end up with a fridge who has ended up in four rooms over or you know been spinning like it's in a washing machine in your house um, and and it's really dangerous as well. There's you know you never know what you're gonna find anywhere because you know people's garbage bins have been upended. There's just debris in the trees like you know they it's not you know you could see a car in a tree there were planes in trees our turtle you know your batting your portable batting um cages um that you use that ended up in trees grandstands in trees like shipping containers the shipping container is what made the most damage in our field um it ruined um two fields and ended up um almost in somebody's house so it's it's devastating. It's yeah. Lismore uh, Far North Coast Baseball Association received seven million dollars in upgrades, and anyone that knows the facility, it's one of the, it's one of the best in the country. Like seven million dollars, full size sized field. You had pre Olympic game tournaments, international curtain raises, national championships. Lismore was becoming this regional home of baseball, and. The photos now, like it's, I, I, and I know that every every industry is hurting, every every business, families, and everything. And baseball is just one of those. It doesn't make it any worse or any better. But we know how significant sporting communities are to regional communities, and obviously this is a baseball podcast, so it is absolutely heartbreaking to see what's happened to those baseball fields and what's happened to everything. What some, um, if you can sort of go through what you've seen at the baseball field and, and, and how the baseball communities, I guess, reacted. It's pretty obvious how they would react, but if you can talk us through that. Um, so the levee bank actually finishes at the end of the, of the field. So it basically ends just before the fields start. So we're used to floods. Um, being that close to the river, even a minor flood, um, we would get water. The field would be underwater. For a period, um, so we obviously knew it was going to flood. We headed down there on the Sunday morning. We packed everything up. We um, we have we have our clubhouse, which is actually built up onto a mound as well to give us some extra height. Um, and then it is two stories, with the the bottom story being um, norm uh, higher than a, a normal ground floor to give us that extra height. So um, the softball and baseball community were out there on the Sunday morning and we were packing up everything. Like we use underneath our grandstands to store equipment and um, you know machinery and everything else. And then we had the canteen, which has got, you know, cool room, fryers, and then, you know, it's mid midway through softball season. So there was all, you know, food, freezers, all that sort of stuff that needed to be moved. So the community rallied together and remembering that some of these people were trying to flood proof their own houses as well at that period of time. Um, so we got out there and we, you know, moved everything up. We've got these storage sheds, which is, um, in 2017, they would not have been breached. Um, the water didn't get that high. So that's why they were built there. 
So um, softball and baseball have these storage facilities there and we, you know, jammed in as much as we could into all of these these um, containers and um, we just didn't think it was going to get that high, you know. At, at, at no point did we think it was going to to completely engulf all that you could see of those storage containers was the roofs. Um, and yeah, so we did, we, we got in, we got everything that we needed to get done, done. Um, and then we sort of all headed home and, and waited to see what happened. And, um, I live out of town, um, like I said, and we only just got home. So we got cut, we would have got cut off, um, probably about four hours after we got home. Um, and then obviously it just kept rising. So people have been in disbelief. Um, you know, people have had have lost their homes. They've lost their children. Have lost their homes. Um, you know, if you if you look at some of the families, you know, it's a generational, you know, intergenerational sport, I should say. And you know, some of them their children had to be rescued with their grandchildren from the top of their house um, and rescued and taken to safety. And, um, you know, as one of the ones that wasn't directly affected by that, I, um, we were out there cleaning as soon as we could. Um, there's been a lot of disbelief that, you know, how how do we come back from this like our fields were just like amazing they just looked so good and there'd been so much time and effort and, and money and sweat and tears put into them and now they are bent and twisted and considered to be a construction zone by the council so they're not even considered to be sporting fields at this point in time um, but you know Having said that, though, the the wider baseball community has really wrapped their arms around us. They have um, offered support. They've offered finances. They've offered equipment. They have, you know, reached out to MLB organisations in the States. Um, the guys from NextGen have, um, you know, put it out over there to to get us some support from you know America and and that's been fantastic because you know whenever you try to rebuild a, a community like this you if you don't go wider than just the region the people that were here that have been impacted the most they're the ones who end up like helping out again to make sure that their sport can continue and to know that there's people that we've never met that are willing to put into their personal pocket, put into their clubs or their associations, their states' pockets and, and help us in this time, it's, it's just amazing. It, it is really just absolutely fantastic and, and we couldn't do it without them. So um, we will rebuild but it's... it's um, it's 
it's tough. Like it's emotionally challenging. Um, you know, I, I guess there's only so many days that you can, you know, see the field that you grew up on and that you love and just see it decimated. It's, um, yeah, there I go again, <laughs> emotional. <laughs> so it's hard. And it's, oh, I, yeah, I'm, look, I'm struggling just listening. We've all seen, as I said, we've all seen it, just to see how it gets you, how it just must be for everyone up there. It's because it's not, it's not just a sport. You said it earlier. It's it's a family. Mm-hmm. It's every part or every section and community within that entire community of Lismore. The baseball community is one of them. It's in a family, mm-hmm. and you play a you play on a field, but you're playing with a family. It's all about the, the, those connections you make, and it's yeah. it's heartbreaking when it's taken away. Like you, and you've gone through so many things in the last five years. But yeah. um, what's the I guess the short term um, opportunities I guess for you do you have any ways to play while you're up there is there any um I guess short term um good news on the horizon (laughs) so we want to we run a timberjacks carnival here every year and it's probably the biggest um social carnival in Australia so it, it is very much based around participation. Um, so last year we actually had to cancel it last minute because of COVID restrictions that came in, but we had 44 teams nominated from around Australia in under 10s, 12s, 14s, 16s and 18s. So um, huge tournament. Um, and obviously, you know, you bring 44 teams to a town with 27,000 people living in it um, and, you know, there's not enough accommodation here. So people do have to visit the other towns within the region. Um, So our focus um, has been to put that tournament on again this year. We understand um, that, you know, people just need to, people want to get back to playing baseball and people want to support us as well and this is a way that they can. Um, and we love putting it on. It's, you know, I, I grew up playing in it and at that point in time it was a, a weekend that you played in your club team. Like that's how it all started um, all those years ago. But now it's, you know, it's teams from Victoria, Sydney, Brisbane, the Gold Coast, just anywhere. Um, they've had international teams come over and play like in the under-18s and so forth. So it um it, it's a it's a great tournament um and it's three days of playing baseball in winter in Lismore, so that's our focus is to play that um we want to play like a half season this season if we can um we don't really know what else we're going to be able to do because obviously a lot of it is dependent upon council and where while we're you know council are obviously very supportive and we we don't um. And we appreciate everything that they do, but the whole region needs help. So the council, obviously, like at the moment, their focus is obviously still on cleaning up, you know, removing waste from the front of people's houses, putting power on, you know, like getting water to run again and stuff like that. So um, while baseball is important and we'll be here when they're ready, um, that's obviously not their focus at the moment, but we'll get there. Um, but we're aiming to have the Timberjacks. Um, we're aiming to try and have half a season, like a, um, you know, like a 10-week 
season um, because we do share the, the complex, like I said, with softball. So um, we are, I guess, impacted. Softball has been impacted already because they only ended up being able to have three games before the floods, um, obviously due to COVID vaccination statuses and so forth. Um, they held off their season to start in 2022. So they only played three games. They've abandoned their season. Um, obviously, baseball is going to have to, you know, have a delayed start and, and hope to have that start later on um, in 2022 if they can. And then it will move into softball season again. So, yeah, it's um, there's trying. There's a lot of people in the background that are just, you know, working so hard that have been so affected as well you know they've they've lost parts of their house their houses were inundated they've lost all their furniture and they're still out there at the baseball field you know working on it and it's just it's amazing to see because they've probably got bigger problems than our baseball field but that's it's it's a home it's a family it's you know and it is it's it, mm. It is just such a community. Like, even though we all, you know, there's four clubs playing out of the same field, you, um, it's just like it's part of Far North Coast. It, you know, there's not a lot of interclub rivalry per se. Um, and you know, and I spent 16 and a half years away from here, and I came home, and it was, you know, like I never left. You know, it's, you know, hey, how you going? And what have you been up to? And, you know, and and that's that's part of Lismore you'll they'll always remember you they'll they'll always help you and do whatever you know when you come to visit and you play a tournament here people say it's the best tournament that they've ever played have been in Lismore so um and that's a testament to the people here so (laughs) you need to come (laughs) yeah well I tell you if um if you're still listening and if anyone from Baseball Australia is listening to this podcast um I might just send them a sneaky link Women's baseball nationals in Lismore. As soon as you guys are ready to have us, yeah, because I think uh, you are the only person from the far north coast to play baseball in the Australian women's baseball team. So, in honour of you, in, in, in getting back the community, supporting the community, as soon as we are able, I would hope that we would consider having a nationals up there in that facility and, and coming up there and seeing the home of Karina Sexton. I mean, you want to um, got one of the most storied careers in women's mm-hmm. baseball in this country. And um, yeah, like everything that you've gone through, everything, your career, everything. Um, yeah, it's still going. As you, it, Like we talk about nationals, you're going off to nationals in a couple of weeks with the Queensland development team. So yes. we're very lucky to have Women's baseball, Lismore, everyone. We're very lucky to have people like you. So, thank you. Yeah. Yeah. I just want to say um, thank you for being on the show. Really appreciate it. We um, could definitely, it's been too long between drinks, you and I, and we could keep chatting all night. We could, yes. <laughs> I really appreciate you taking the time to share everything. Not a problem. Thank you for having me. Well, we'll put some links um, in the podcast as well for anyone that wants to support. Um, if you want to reach out to Karina or reach out to some of the links, if you've got any way you can support Far North Coast Baseball or the Lismore region in any way, shape or form you can, um, I know it would be welcome. Thank you for joining me for another episode of Women's Baseball, The Inside Pitch. I really hope you liked today's episode. And if it was your first, welcome. But make sure you go back and listen to some of the earlier episodes with some of the great names and stories from women's baseball all around the world. Catch you next time.